So that's it. Miss Virginia lives with you. It's just you by yourself. That's it. Come on in. You made it. So we we will have an extra one. Miss Fran, you were right. <laughs> I was counting one extra. Uh, but uh, I got a spot for you. We're going to get started in our study in Genesis. Uh, and we're very glad to see everyone. Uh, and for those of you who are watching online, uh, we thank you for your encouragements and your comments. We're in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and we are in Genesis chapter three. And to do a quick recap, we've seen God on a high level view, uh, create the heavens and the earth through this book that is written, um, by the Holy spirit through the pen of what we believe to be Moses. And we've also seen a drill down view, a, a more uh, in-depth view of creation last week. We've seen God create man in his image. We've seen God give charge. We've seen God give commandments. We've seen God give order. Um, and these things are very important that God has given order. And as the law of first mention will go, if something is mentioned first in the Bible, it generally carries that thing throughout uh, the Bible. And we see man's role uh, some of man's role. We see some of woman's role. We also see a divine connection with us to who? God. And we also see in the garden a, uh, a lateral connection with us to other people, with relationships. So we see, as we will see all throughout the scriptures, uh, a picture of how God has placed us in the earth, that we are to have a vertical relationship with God and a horizontal relationship with other people. And in order for either one to function properly, the other one needs to be in order. If you're going to have a good relationship with God, you need to have a good relationship with people. If you're going to have a good relationship with people, you really need to have a good relationship with God to help you function and flow the way it's designed. And God has given man and woman clear-cut goals and clear-cut roles. But he also gave Adam a charge. He gave him a charge. He was to go into the garden and he was to do two things. What was he supposed to do? He, he was supposed to protect it and he was supposed to what? He's supposed to what? He's supposed to serve it, right? So to, almost like an officer to serve and to protect. That word serve is like the minister. So he is, you could look at Adam almost as a priest king uh, that God has put him in the earth to have dominion. And, and to rule over the things of the earth. And he is also there worshiping God in the cool of the evening. And he has been called to minister to this garden, to serve it and to help yield its fruit. And he's been called to also protect it and his wife, uh, Eve, who uh, her very name or the name Ish Shah means wife or woman. He's been called to protect. Now we get into uh, a segment where we see that it all goes a little haywire and we see it going haywire. And I'm going to start reading at Genesis chapter three, starting at verse one. And uh, you guys, when they have it on the screens, you can go with me. Genesis chapter three, verse one, it says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. I'm going to I'm going to go over here to my version because I like to read sometimes the old King James version. And uh, I'm, I'm reading that. So, I, so we'll all be on the on the same uh, on the same uh, same lift or on the, the same page. Let's try that again. Let's read. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say 
you must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit in the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree of the, in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, there's a lot packed in there because we see something when God made Adam and gave Adam a charge. Who was there but God and Adam? He wasn't there. She wasn't there yet. So God gives a command to Adam. And he says this in uh, Genesis chapter two, verse 16. And the Lord commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden, thou mayest eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it for in the day thou eatest it, thou shalt surely die. Now we see that the enemy begins a conversation. Satan has the power of persuasion and that's about it. Satan has the power of persuasion and what do I mean by that? By his persuasion, he was able to convince what the Bible calls a third of the angels, a third of the stars of heaven to come with him. So do you think really that we can ever beat Satan in a toe-to-toe tongue-talking match? No. If you get into, a, not without the Holy Spirit, if you get into a conversation with the enemy, he's seen you or somebody like you for ages. And many times we try to debate with evil and we try to reason with evil when many times our option should be just to pray and to go straight to the scripture. You see in the book of Matthew, uh, when Jesus is taken into the wilderness, as Satan replies, Jesus doesn't even bother to talk back. All he does is what? Quote scripture. He says what? It is written. That's why it's important for us to know the what? Word of God. When, when we can count this because Adam has been told this command by what? God. So this is the what? Word of God. So Adam has to stand on. All he has to do is to stand on the what? Word of God. And he can defeat the enemy. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. Submit to God. Resist the, resist the devil and he will flee from you and his charge is to tend and keep it so God has set an order of covering he's covering Adam and he's got Adam covering Eve so Satan does something Satan goes to somebody but guess he who he does not go to he doesn't go to Adam we know that Adam is there because she gives the fruit uh to Eve uh to gives the fruit to her husband who is with her but he goes to who he has already subverted God's what? Order. Anytime you start working out of the order God has set, chaos will what? Ensue. It's going to ensue. God set this order for a reason. If society might not like it. Uh, social statuses might not like it. Different types of movements may not like it. But God has set an order in place for a reason. And when you start to tinker with the order that God has created, disaster is going to come sooner or later. He does not talk to Adam. He talks to Eve. Why is he doing that? He's doing that because he's not going to dare right now try to challenge Adam. Adam's already got on his mind that I need to serve and I need to protect. He goes to the more genteel. He goes to the more soft. He goes to the person because he's a person of what? Influence. He's a liar and the father of what? Lies. So what is he going to do? He's going to influence who he can so that that person can influence what? Somebody else. 
And if you go through any organization or anything in life, you notice that people that are mess starters, they never generally go after the person they're after. They go over and say, Mark, did you hear about Brother Dave? Did you hear what he did? Man, I can't believe what Brother Dave did. I thought he was better than that, man. All that running around the stage and acting like he saved and Holy Ghost for I can't believe he would do that. And after a while, after I begin to talk to Mark, why am I talking to Mark? I'm talking to Mark probably because Mark probably has influence with Dave that I do not what have. And if I can, if I can pervert Mark's view of Dave, I can then make Mark go and, and do something to subvert what Dave is trying to do, right? So the enemy has already said, oh, God made her pretty. He liked her. I see him looking at her all day long. So what I'm going to do is I don't have to get him. I'm going to go get her. And if I can get her, I can get him. Because every time she smiles, he goes, <laughs> And he does whatever she says. The enemy is watching. He's crafty. You have to be careful with the enemy. The enemy doesn't come overtly. The enemy comes with strategy. Everybody says strategy. The enemy, the Bible says that we need to be conscious of the devil's what? Schemes, his strategy. The enemy has a strategy. He And we often don't look at it, but the enemy has strategies in the world. He has strategies in media. He has strategies in politics. He has strategies in, in, in all sorts of forms of life. And he has those strategies set in place so that those strategies will trap you and to bind you. And if we're not careful, we will be subject to the strategy. Now, poor Eve, she doesn't do what she needs to. He begins to talk to her and it says, the, and the serpent said unto, and he just asked her a simple question. He just wants to start a conversation. Conversation will get you into a lot of trouble sometimes. Sometimes the best thing you can do is do what the Bible said. The Bible says, study to be quiet and to mind thy own business. That's really in the Bible. If you don't believe me, look it up. I believe that's Thessalonians. Study to be quiet and to mind thy own business. But she starts talking with the devil. When you try to reason with sin, it's not going to work. It's going to end up getting you trapped. And it says, and the serpent said, now notice something though. He doesn't immediately come at her with a lie. He comes at her with the what? Truth. Did you notice that? He, he comes to her and he says, he says, did God really say that you should not eat of the tree, uh, 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 every tree of the garden? He knows what God said, apparently, because he's heard this. How does he know this? And so Eve says something. She says, and the woman said, we may not eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but uh, we may eat of these trees, but of the fruit of the tree in the garden in the midst. Now, she already has got a perversion of the word. You know why? Because God just told Adam, don't what? Eat it. But if you look at verse three, it says, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it. God didn't tell him that. Who told her that? Adam told, no, Adam told her that. Adam figured, I, I know I figured this out. Don't even touch it. God said, don't look at it. So don't look at it. Don't eat it. Don't touch it. So she got strict instructions. Adam has done his job. We know she's had this conversation before because not only do we hear what God said, we hear additional instructions, don't we? Not only he told Adam, just don't eat out of it. You're going to die. But we hear from this, don't eat it and don't what? Touch it. 
So it's not like Adam hadn't said something to her about this before. She already knows. How many of you have ever gotten caught up with something that you already know what you're doing, you ain't supposed to be doing, but somehow you allow somebody to give you a smooth conversation and it pulls you right in the place that you don't want to what? Be. And you, and here's the thing. The sad part is, you know the word of God. You know what God's word said, and you're, you even are, are, are to the point where you're trying to talk with them and reason with them why I can't do this, why, why this is wrong, why this is sinful. But you're not going to beat the, beat the devil. The Bible says to flee, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, that you have to be able to resist. So and then it says, and the serpent said unto the woman, now here's his first lie, you shall not surely die. Now, we know from our studies that death means what separation separation from god now here's the thing they have no knowledge of good and evil they don't have that much knowledge so do they really know the concepts of what death really is they're innocent they haven't eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil but they do understand god enough to know we need to be able to leave this alone and satan says you won't surely die and then he says something he says, look at verse five. Let's read that together. Verse five. Uh, it says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's true. God does know that. And you'll see that near the end that they will be like God, knowing good and evil. But he tried to make it look like something that they were deprived from. He's trying to make them look like they're missing what? out on something how does the devil always get you he doesn't let you focus on all the trees in the garden he makes you focus on the one tree you can't have how many of us have gotten in trouble because we had plenty of stuff but we had to get the one thing we couldn't have and why was it enticing because we couldn't have it you didn't even want the cookie out the cookie jar until mama told you you couldn't have it now every time you pass the cookie jar you're just looking at it. It's speaking to you. You know you want to eat me. <laughs> but mama said, I can't have you. I wasn't even thinking about you. I don't know why. I can't get you off of my mind. I'm waiting on you. <laughs> and then mama come in, and now it's a problem because your hand is in, you caught with your hand in what? Cookie jar. Now you got to explain why your hand is in the cookie jar. Now, let's trade that with God and sin. God's word has told each one of us there's something that we should not have done. And what do we do? We do it anyway. And then when we get in trouble, we tell, tell, tell that ever forever fable, Lord, if you let me out of this, I promise. I, I, have you, you said it too. You finished it for me. Anybody else honest like Lamarck? Anybody else prayed that line prayer? Lord, if you let me out of this, I promise I won't ever do this again. Have you ever said that? Some of you may not have, but a lot of people have prayed that prayer. Most of the people I know have gotten into a situation and said, Lord, if you just let this come back in my favor and let me out of this, I promise you won't have, you won't ever see me come this way again. And then you start praying the Baptist deacons prayer. Lord, here it is now and again that I'm coming before you again with the same problem, Lord. I'm glad that you're good in mercy and you have much mercy and your mercies are renewed every morning because I came to you with this yesterday morning. But I got to come to you again, Lord, right now <laughs> with the same problem I came to you yesterday with. I know you told me not to do it, Lord, but the spirit is willing, but the flesh is willing. Anybody ever had one of them prayers? Human nature 
sin nature that we are born bad we are born bad and adam and eve have been given what we call free moral agency that means god did not want them to obey just because they if would you want your husband or your wife or a significant other to like you just because you had a gun to their head that wouldn't really be love would it it's only love if they have the choice not to love you when they have a choice to say, I don't have to love you, but I choose to love you. I don't have to obey you, but I choose to obey you. That shows a submission of the will and love is shown through what? Submission. You see perfect love in the father for the, the son submits to the father and the spirit submits. They are all co-equal and co-eternal, but there is submission because there is love. God is what? Love. In love, there's submission. That's how the family is supposed to work. The wife, the husband is supposed to submit to God. The wife is supposed to submit to the husband. The children are supposed to submit to the parents. That's how it's supposed to work in an orderly home. But when we subvert that order, love is taken away and chaos, what? Ensues. So we see this conversation. For God knows that if you eat it, you shall surely die. Let's go to verse 6. And I want you to see something, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this out. The Bible says this, and he says three things basically will do a man in. We read this in the scriptures all the time. The lust of the what? Flesh. The, the lust of the what? Eyes. And the pride of what? Let's say that together. The lust of flesh. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. We've seen that in the scriptures, right? Hmm. So let's read this scripture in verse six. And I'll tell you when to stop. Let's let's ready read. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food. Stop. The lust of the what? Mm. He told you it was bad for you. But you saw it was going to be good to you. Oh, Jesus. Somebody has to hear that. Because how many times did God told you something was bad for you, but it destroyed your life because it was good to you? The lust of the what? Flesh, that insatiable lust. And lust is su such that the more it, you get, the more you want. And it doesn't have to be a physical lust. It could be a lust for something that is ungodly in your life. Could be lust that you have, want to watch more foolishness on TV than you do really lust after the things of God. And the lust of the flesh is always taking your attention. You're on TikTok for six hours, so you can't read your word or doing whatever the case may be. Or you watching, watching Chop, and you know you've seen that same episode of Chop 16 times, and you act like you don't know what's going to happen when they cut away on the screen, but you're still watching it or flip this house and all that stuff, and your Bible just sitting there collecting dust because your flesh likes to watch stuff. And nothing wrong with eating fruit, is there? Just like there's nothing wrong with watching TV. But she allowed her eating fruit to cause her to disobey and discount what God had what? Said. She discounted God's word for what she wanted. I know the word says this. I know the word says generous, but this is my money. I give when I get ready. I know the word says be faithful, but I show up when I want to. I know the word says love my enemy, but I'm going to cuss them out and love them later. <laughs> <laughs> no somebody said you can't do that no you can't <laughs> no you're not supposed to do that uh, but 
we're well, not supposed to do that at least. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, if you have done that, that's okay. There's room at the cross for you and for me too. <laughs> uh, but here's the deal. The lust, we see the lust of the flesh. Let's see if we can look at, see the lust of the eyes. What's the very next word? And pleasing to the what? Eyes. Oh, wow. So she, we already see her on a slippery slope. She hit the lust of the flesh. She's hit the lust of the eyes. I was the only one left, the pride of life, right? That pride of life, I know more than everybody else, and I have arrived in life. Let's see what, what comes with the next one. Let's go to the next part of that. What does it say? And also desirable for gaining wisdom. She's doomed. She began to have a conversation with the enemy that she wasn't prepared for. And she was responsible to obey the word of God that was passed down through her pastor, which was her husband. Her husband is the priest king of Eden, so to speak. He has gotten a word from God, and not only has he passed down the word from God, but he's given, given additional instructions, apparently. Not only should you not eat it, but you shouldn't even touch it, and she's right in front of him, ignoring it. How many times has the word been right in front of him? Or how many times have we been in church getting a sermon, left right out from that sermon, and acted like we didn't hear a word that was said? And what does she say? It's a gaining wisdom. So what does she do? When you get contacted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and you try to engage Satan and think that you are more cunning than he is, you are going to lose. That's why the Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate. That does not mean that you treat people who are unbelievers with, like they have something on their face. You respect everybody. But what it says is where they are, Sometimes it's not best for you to be. The things they do is not best for you to do because if you put yourself in an environment to start reasoning is something right or wrong, all they have to do is stay in the ark of safety that God had created for them and tell the enemy, you're not supposed to be here. So we see the woman not obeying. We see the man not doing his job to protect and serve. And when, when you have absentee fathers and absentee men, what is going to ensue? Chaos. At any time, Adam could have looked at the serpent and said, you know what? I've been thinking about some, some snakeskin boots. And if you don't stop talking to my wife, I think I'll get me a pair. But he didn't do that. He sat by idly and watched the enemy seduce his home. Unless we think too hard of Adam, how many men know that they need to be the priests of their home and do devotions in their home? or stand up for godly principles in their home. But because their wife is cantankerous and loud, they back down like little girls. And for the sake of peace, they just let anything go. You know you shouldn't let your child go to this place, but we tell the old axiom, if wife ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? But we see that didn't work for Adam, don't we? If God ain't happy, then nobody's happy. And sometimes a part of manhood is doing that thing which we find unpopular. Doing that thing, I know it looks good to you. 
I know it will make you wise. Whatever wise is, we don't know that yet because we haven't eaten from the tree. I know that it, 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 it seems pleasing for food, but God said we couldn't do it, and you can't. Everybody said no. That's a word that nobody likes to hear. But if you're loving and you're a leader, sometimes the best word you can say to somebody is no. Because no is not restrictive. No is liberating. No means that I'm keeping you from something worse beyond there. Now, when you're a child, you can't understand that. I never forget uh, when people used to go out when I was young, my mom would tell me I couldn't go. And even our male chorus, the guy's choir would go out sometimes and they would go and mama wouldn't let me go. And one day I got mad at mama and I looked at her and I said, everybody else is going having fun but me. And, and, and I wish I was like everybody. She said, I didn't name you everybody. I named you Willie and you ain't going. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought mama was the meanest person in the world but what mama was doing was mama had been in the cold cold world and she knew what was out there and she was saying you can go experience it for yourself but then you're going to be damaged or you can allow me to protect you from this until you're mature enough to handle it who knows if God would have ever let them eat of that tree but right now at this part while they were walking and communing with God during the garden they, it wasn't time for them to eat from that. So he protected them from that. That no was a blessing. How many times have we wrecked our life because we rebel when we hear no? We hate to hear it. We live in a country of people who looked at a mother country and said, I'm going to throw all your teeth in the harbor, start a war, and I'm going to leave. And then when we finished fighting England, we turned around and started fighting each other in a civil war. We fight all the time because we can't get our what? Way. Human nature to be what? Selfish. And only care about what we want. Notice when she saw it, it never says at any time that she considered that I may die or Adam may die. All she saw was that it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and it can make somebody wise. And so she said, forget all the consequences. I'm going to do what makes me happy. How many, how many marriages have been destroyed because people say, I'm going to do what makes me happy? That we care more about our happiness than we do the word of God. And that's not to say that God wants you miserable. But sometimes self-denial would be the best thing in the world because it's protection from things out there that could destroy us. But the enemy knows what our normal nature is, so he's going to play to that. If you know somebody, if you need something from somebody and they like brownies and you need to get some information from them, what you going to bring? You're going to bring brownies. If the enemy wants something from you and he knows what you like, he's not going to bring what you don't like. He's going to bring what you do. And if you're not paying close attention to the word of God and standing on the word of God every day, you're going to find yourself in a situation that you don't need to be in. And what we see in this scripture here is we see the world about to be turned upside down. But here's the worst thing. Not only did she do wrong, but she encouraged her husband to do it. He should have known better. If he'd have done what he was supposed to do, she wouldn't have been doing this. But still, it does not negate her responsibility. Two wrongs don't make a what? She knew just like he knew, because he had relayed the message. So she could have said, all this time, they've disobeyed God, 
That's what hamartia uh, or sin means. The word sin, hamartia in the Greek means to miss the mark. In other words, God has set a mark and you have missed it. Now they are in sin because it says she gave it to her husband and he ate. Mm. He ate it with her. How many times have people gotten in trouble because they were just with the wrong person? They were doing something. They walked in the store real fast, came out. You just thought they got what they came to get. You see blue lights, they didn't rob the store. Now both of you going to jail. I've seen some, some situations just watching on TV sometimes. Somebody's in a car and somebody's done something wrong, and now you were in the car with them, and now all of y'all are getting the same charge. How often is it that we need to be careful of who we allow in our inner circle? And if the enemy is going to get to us, he's not going to use somebody from the outside. He's going to use somebody from the end. If you don't believe me, what was the conversation between Job and God? He said, I will make him curse you to your face. And when she got under pressure and stress, whose words do we hear in Job's wife's mouth? Just curse God and die. Where did those thoughts come from? Be careful of the people that are close around you. Be careful of the people that you give influence in your life because if they are not strong in where they need to be, although they mean you well, they might be a tool for the enemy. That's why those people around you, you need to be praying for them as well because those people who have influence with you can cause you and pull you down into the doldrums to make decisions that you don't need to make. And then it says, verse 7, let's read it together, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together to, and made coverings for themselves. Everybody says it's a cover-up. How many times they've already sinned, they've already disobeyed. Maybe they'll just be mercy if they just tell the what? But what's the number one thing when we've done something wrong? We try to what? Try to pass the buck or we try to cover it up? We first try to cover it up so it doesn't get found out. And then if it gets found out, the next thing we do is we try to what? Blame somebody else. We don't accept accountability for our own actions, not realizing that if you were just honest, my mother used to say something all the time. If I done it, I just done it. What does that mean? I know that's not good grammar, but it, that, that's how, how my mom would say it. If I done it, I just done it. What she was saying is if you fess up, mess up, get up and move forward. How much could we, how farther could we be in our Christian progression if we were just honest with God in our conversation? How many times have we lied to God? No, we lying like as if somebody else can hear us when our conversations and, and I and, and we're talking to people. And uh, when we're talking to people, uh, we're trying to fool God as if he can't see our hearts. Just be honest with him. Lord, I did it. I could lie to you and tell you I didn't mean to do it, but I, obviously I meant to do it because I did it. So now I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, and, and I want you to help me to fix it so I don't do it any, again. But I, I'll be honest. And you got to be careful. Sometimes we act like we don't do stuff, but we do. I was having a conversation with a friend. I tell on myself. And, and I was, we were messing around. And I said something about something. And all of a sudden my iPad popped on the series and said, well, that's not nice. 
And then I thought I'd turn my iPad off because that, that was like, Siri, you need to study to be quiet and mind your own business. But at the same time, how many times have we not realized Siri just misheard what I said? But how many times have we been having conversations and not realize that God is listening just like Siri is? So it would be important for us that when we fess up, everybody said, when you mess up, fess up, then get up, then move forward. So now here it is. They've tried to cover their sin. They make coverings for themselves so they could try to hide what they've done. Let's read what verse eight, eight says. It says what? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. There are a lot of people who hide from God, not realizing you can't hide from God. You know how many people I've heard tell me, when I get bright, I'm going to come to church. Well, then you never coming because the people in church ain't right either. We're all sinners saved by grace. You don't go to the hospital when you get well. People, people will make me laugh. I don't go to the church because it's full of hypocrites. That's like saying I don't go to the hospital because it's full of sick people. That's where they're supposed to be. We're trying to get help. We're trying to become closer to Jesus. We're trying to learn more about him. It, the church, you being a Christian is not a confession that you are perfect. It is the exact opposite. It is a confession that you are a sinner and you need salvation through Jesus Christ. You are confessing by saying I'm a Christian that I'm not perfect and I need Jesus. And I need him through his precious blood and through his sanctification. So now they're covering themselves. Who am I talking to that's trying to cover themselves? And every time God comes to you, you try to hide yourself. I don't think I'm going to go to church today. Have you ever done that? You know you you know you know ain't living right or ain't doing something right. And you don't want to come to church because you just know the preacher know what you did. He don't know what you did. But you just know. And as soon as he starts talking about what you did and God starts stepping on your toe, you start looking at the preacher cross eye like he's telling my business. You forget. He don't even know what you did. But we hide because we don't want to hear the what? Truth. The truth makes us uncomfortable. It makes us squirm in our seats sometimes. I wonder how it is that a lot of people come to church every single Sunday and they don't squirm every now and then. Not in a way of condemnation, because God's not here to condemn you, but in a convicting way to say, I could do a little better. I don't have to perform for my salvation. I'm already saved by grace through faith, but in my process of sanctification, I could do a little better to please God. So they're covering themselves. Let me look at that clock. That clock lets me know. They're covering themselves, and they hear God. And isn't it amazing how when God made them, they had direct fellowship with God. They were running to God to fellowship. They knew the sound of his voice in the garden. They usually run to his fellowship. But now when sin stains them, what is the natural human inclination? They start running from him. The sad part is that when people get caught in sin, instead of running to church, they run 
from church. And when you get caught in sin, you don't need to run from church. That's when you need to run what? To church. You need to run to the altar. You need to run to the ark of safety for the mercy of God. When you fall, God wants to pick you back up again. But they're so scared that the church is going to beat them over the head. If you are listening to this by podcast or on the Internet or on one of our many platforms, I want you to know right now, if you're in sin, stop hiding from God. Run to the church. Run to Christian people who are spiritual and love you and allow them to love you back to life. My brothers and sisters, if one of you is overtaken in a fault, let ye with your spiritual restore that person with a spirit of meekness, considering yourselves, lest you also. When you're caught in sin, it's not the time to run from God. That's the time to run to God. But we allow shame to make us run. I've had people that I, I've, I've told you need to come come to church or you need to come to God. And they'll they'll tell me I'm too ashamed because of what I've done. Why? All of our righteousness is but filthy rags. Jesus is waiting on you to repent and turn to him. If you're ashamed of what you're doing, stop it and do something different. Come back to Christ. The Lord called to the man and said, where are you? Now, let's stop for a second. God is omnipotent. He's omniscient and he's omnipresent. He already knows where Adam is. He could see Adam when the conversation was happening. So why did he ask Adam, where are you? I got a question. Yeah. He wanted to know where he was in his soul. Now, he knows where he was in his soul, but he wants Adam to know. Sometimes before we can come back to God, we got to be like Luke chapter 15, like the prodigal son. He never came back to the father. So the Bible says he came to him. What? Self. He stopped and asked himself a question. I wasted all my father's money on prostitutes and harlots and partying. And here I am wanting to eat the food the pigs eat. Where have I gotten myself? And when he realized where he had gotten himself, he said, I'm going to go back home to my father. So we see a beautiful picture of God right here because God is offering Adam a chance. I'm giving you a chance to make it right. I'm giving you a chance to confess your sin. The Bible said that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just and able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The enemy wants you to hide. God doesn't want you to hide. God wants you to be open and honest and transparent and confess your sins and say, I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Lord, I'm sorry. Help me. Save me. That is the whole purpose of salvation, that I am in sin and I cannot help myself. Where am I? I've looked and realized I am not where I need to be. The reason a lot of people are not seeking God is because they have not asked the one simple question, where am I? How did I get in the shape that I'm in?
How did I end up here? Adam, where are you? Chrissy, where are you? Brother Bob, where are you? Haley, Robin, where are you? Lamarck, where are you? Dave, where are you? He's asking because he needs you to ask yourself. Sister Fran, where are you? Virginia, where are you? He wants us to give an assessment. You can't come to God with a haughty and a proud mind. You've got to come to God with the thought process that he is higher than I am. And I need to realize that it's not God's fault that I'm in the shape I'm in. It's my fault that I'm in the shape I'm in. It's my disobedience that's put me where I am. It's not my husband's fault that I'm not happy. I chose to be bitter. It's not my wife's fault that I'm not happy. It's I chose to be bitter. It's not my kid's fault that I don't have any peace. I chose to not have any peace. And you can't ever get help in life until you first look at yourself and give yourself a good, honest look. The problem is we get saved and we stop looking. We get saved and we figure that's good enough. And we stop growing in our Christian walk. And then we swear church is born. Church isn't born. I keep going through the same old mundane patterns. That's because you're not growing. Because you're not looking at yourself. God wants to change you. And you could discover a new person every day if you just allow him to let you look at yourself and do like David said, search me and know me, oh God. He's not telling God to search him because God can't see. He's saying, and look in me and see if there be any unclean thing in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. What he's saying, show me myself. I know I'm not perfect. Help me to be better. We see the mercy of a loving father giving Adam and Eve a chance. Adam doesn't say what he did. He doesn't come clean with God. He doesn't say, I ate the fruit. What does he say? He said, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. How many times do we lie to ourselves and not realize that the reason we say we're doing something really ain't the reason? I hid because I was naked. Did you really? So in verse 11, he says, and he said, who told you? Let's read that together. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God is trying to steal. Adam struck out. Where are you, Adam? Tell me the truth. Well, I was naked, so I hid. He lied. He's still trying to cover up what he did. Yeah, you naked and you hid, but that's not the reason. So God gives him a lovingly another chance to tell the truth. He said, well, maybe I should just do it this way. Since you, you're still hiding, I'll help you out. Have you eaten from the tree I told you not to eat from? He gives him a softball. All he has to do is finally say, yes, Lord. Yes, I did. Help me. Let's see what he does instead. Verse 12. The man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave some fruit from the tree and I ate it. 
Why are you always fussing with your husband? Why can't you be submissive? Well, he always making me mad. If he gave me something to respect, I would respect it. He never said he would give you something to respect. He told you to respect. Why are you not doing what you're supposed to do? What your husband does has nothing to do with what you're supposed to be doing. Don't try to use the fact that he's not doing what you want to as an excuse for you not to do what you're supposed to do. Why are you not loving your wife? Well, she won't cook and she won't do right and she got a flip mouth and I'm sick of her mouth. Well, God didn't tell you to love her if she had a, if, if she if she said everything you wanted. He loves you and you got a flip mouth. When are we going to grow up and stop treating people and, and, and justifying our own bad behavior because of somebody else? And say, I'm not, my husband don't make me mad. I got a problem with anger. My wife don't, don't make me angry. That's my own problem. My mother and father, my kids don't make me angry. It's because I have problems myself. And that's why you can never get help. Because you're always blaming your problems on somebody else. I'd just be happy if there were Democrats in office. I'd just be happy if there were Republicans in office. Life would just be, life would never be better for you because you are the only person that has the ability to change your life. You have to give your life to God. And if you give your life to God, I promise you, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. If God is on the throne in your house of your life, your life will change. Amen. I'm trying to be calm, Mark. I'm trying to be calm. I only have a few seconds, but I, I don't know about you, but this, this is a powerful lesson. So God gives him another chance. And he says, you gave me this woman. He's blaming God. God, this is your fault. You should have made her ugly, and then I wouldn't have did what she told me to do. <laughs> it's your fault. Can you see this? Not only... Did he blame, did he try to talk around the truth? Because the half truth is a whole lie. Partly, yeah, I'm, I am I am upset because I'm naked and I'm ashamed, but that's not the whole truth. And then when you get right to the heart of the matter, I still beat around it and say, it's your fault. This is the woman she gave me, the woman you put here. Yeah, I did it, but it's really your fault because you gave her to me and she gave it to me. And so God looks at the woman and says, oh, well, Adam. Now, he knows what's going to happen. He's already got a plan in place. Behold, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So he looks at her, and after all this, he still gives her a chance. He asks her, have you not, did you eat of the fruit of the tree I told you not to eat of? Does she say, yes, Lord, I did. And to be honest with you, you shouldn't be mad at Adam. You should, because he should have told me again not to do it. But it wasn't him that ate it. I ate it, and then I gave it to him. I influenced him. He still had to make his own choices, Lord. He's responsible. I'm not going to take his beatings. But I, 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 played, I played a part in the process. How many times have we come to tell our side of the story? But we didn't tell everything. You told everything they did to you. But you didn't tell what you did. That's why you don't need to bring your family into your, your marital struggles. Because when you go to mama, you're going to tell her everything Junebug did. But you're not going to tell what you said. Now, both of y'all are back good. And every time you come over, she's looking at Junebug crazy. <laughs> because we only tell what we want to tell. 
We don't tell lies. Can you, it's amazing how you can still see us in these people. We have that DNA. Ain't that amazing? And he said, the serpent you gave. So then the Lord curses the serpent and says, because of you, who we know that that word serpent goes for who? Satan. We see it in Revelation. We see it all over. When you see serp serpents, you, you it's generally about Satan. If you see scorpions and things, it's about demonic activity, things like that. And he gives him a curse. And then he says this. He says, I'm going to put, and this is it. Not only do we see God giving them a chance, but even after that, when they don't deserve another chance, you see God throwing all these softballs, and they still won't submit and just be honest. Just be honest. I'm going to tell you, when you you in something you shouldn't be in, the hardest thing you can do is be honest. It's hard. But the best thing you can do is to be honest. Because then the devil can't hold it over your head no more. Just be honest. Just tell the truth. Just deal with it. Just be an adult. And so we see in verse 15, and I'm going to quit. I know my time's out, but if you'll just give me a couple of minutes because I want to finish this chapter. Y'all okay with that? Verse 15, and I will put enmity, this is a prophecy, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his head. Wait a minute, serpents don't have, have offspring like that. This is a prophecy that he's saying, I'm going to send my son down. This is the first time we've seen Jesus in the Godhead and Elohim. But now we see a prophecy of Jesus, a prophetic utterance that I'm going to send my son down and you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. I'm fixing to put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, you may get a few blows, but ultimately your skull getting crushed. That you will be destroyed and defeated. That is a wonderful thing of redemption that God doesn't even speak. You notice if he stops speaking to them and speaks to the serpent. And in him speaking to the servant, serpent, he tells his plan of redemption. Right after they said they refused to admit that they were dead to rights and they really deserved what they should have gotten. And they deserved death because God had given them the best thing in the world. And they had threw it away for the lust of the flesh the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, and they deserve to be destroyed. And God gives them mercy and says, you know what? I knew this was going to happen. I already got my son coming, and he's going to crush your head for messing with my children. Wow. Who wouldn't want to serve a God that loves you that much? We see the love of God in this. And then he says to the woman, I'll make your pain. Let's read it together. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe and painful with labor. You will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. At first, he gave him dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the fowl of the air. But now he has dominion over everything. And he's lost dominion over most things, but now He's the rule. He says, I'm going to make a cantankerous relationship between the two of you. Not only is the relationship vertically severed, but now horizontally. You're going to be trying to lead her. And everywhere you try to lead her, she's going to be trying to go the other way. And it's going to be a constant struggle be between both of y'all because of sin. 
sin and selfishness causes divorce. You see how sin wrecks everybody's life. You see how selfishness wrecks everybody's life. So we've now seen a severance of the relationship between God and man, and now a severance between man and woman. Any married couples can attest to that? That you've seen that happen a couple of times? That's a smart thing, Brother Bob. Just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but we've seen that before, haven't we? We've been on one side or the other that. Then he says to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you not to eat from. In other words, I gave you a charge. You were supposed to listen to me, not to your wife. How many families are turned up that side down because you know what God said, but you bow down and cow down and you're not a real man. That doesn't mean you misogynistic. That doesn't mean you bullheaded. But when you know right, you stand on it. What was Ahab's problem? He was the king, but but Jezebel wore the pants. If you're going to be a man, be a man. And sometimes that means you got to lovingly make decisions that might leave you in an uncomfortable position for a little while. But you do it for the good of the whole family. Amen? In, in a loving way, in a caring way. Now, this is why you hate Monday mornings. I got uh, I got a book coming, and it's, it's a devotional, but this is, and I'll tell you more about it later, but here's the deal. This is why we hate Monday mornings. <laughs> right here. Verse, verse 17, he says, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which I commanded you not to eat from, cursed the ground because of you. At first, you were going out, Adam, and you were working. I gave you a job, and it was easy. Now, work is going to be what? Laborious. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat. Of, let's read that verse 9. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now. Last thing we need to see tonight, because here's the thing. Somebody asked me a question. I believe that was you, Brother Bob. And I told them, whoever it was, I gave them this answer. I remember the answer that sometimes you can be saved from the penalty of sin, that your soul is going to heaven, but you can be affected by the residual of sin. You may have had a promiscuous lifestyle, and you saved, and you go into heaven. but you have some doctor's appointments you have to go to because some of the residual sins still ended up in your life or extra child support payments or, or, or support groups for, for drugs and alcohol because you saved, but you still have struggles because of the choices you what made. You know what? Something shook me to my core. We were out the other day um, doing, doing, feeding the homeless and doing that stuff and going under the bridges. And one guy, he, he shook me because he said he had prostate cancer. He was under the bridge. But I had a guy, and he gave me the most honest answer I've ever heard in my life. I went to him, and I don't know if you heard him, Brother Dave, but I went to him to the bridge, and I said, do you have family around? And he said, yeah, I got family here, here, here. And I just messed around, and I asked him a question. I said, well, then why are you under this bridge? And he looked me squarely in the eye and said, the choices I made. The choices I made pushed people out of my life. I could, I wish I could bring him to church every Sunday. It would be refreshing to have members 
I already do. But somebody that's just that honest and says, yeah, I'm the problem. God can use a person like that. That's like Jonah and said, don't throw nobody else overboard. Don't waste throwing your cargo overboard. If you throw about 180 pounds overboard, the ship will stop because I'm the problem. Personal accountability is freeing. We're about to do a sermon series soon called Freedom, and we're going to be looking about freedom and deliverance and some things. It's going to be an awesome sermon, but uh, sermon series. But the thing we have to learn is personal accountability and honesty. Stop passing the buck to everybody else. Deal with your what? Self. Let's keep going because I'm out of time, but this is good, and we're going to finish up. And Adam named his wife. Eve. Let's read that together. Verse 20. And Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of sin, uh, garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, if you just read over that, you wouldn't realize what that is. In order for him to make garments of skin, what did he have to do to the animal? He had to kill him. The blood had to be shed. We see sacrifice. We see a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do on the cross because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So even in their fallen state, we still see God covering them. We still see the mercy of God. I don't know who needs to hear this, but even when you're still in your sin right now, you think you're getting away with it, but it's only that the blood of Jesus is covering you. You ought to be grateful that the blood of Jesus had not allowed you to get what you deserve, that it's covering you right now, that, that, that it's not because you live so good that you don't have an STD or an extra child or, or that you strung out on drugs. It's only because of the blood of Jesus that God has decided in his sovereignty to cover you and give you mercy mercy in the midst of your situation you know what you deserve and, you, and some of us we be honest we know what we deserve we look good on our side and we know church ease but each one of us know what we really deserve and the only reason we're not getting it is because the blood has covered our door the blood of jesus he covered them that's what a loving father does he didn't kill them he covered them. That's what love does. Love covers a multitude of sin. He dealt with the sin. He said, you're going to have to deal with the residuals of your sin. Childbirth and toil. There are going to be some residual effects of your sin. You may have been a bad steward. I'm not going to send you unexpected checks in the mail. I don't know who this is for. You're going to have to learn to budget your money and rebuild your credit. It's going to take you years to get out of what you're in. But while you in whatever you're in, you're going to lose that marriage. I'm sorry, and it, it, that's not what you want to hear, but you did some things to mess it up. But while you rebuilding your life, I'm going to cover you. Why are you putting back the pieces? I'm going to cover you. Sometimes in life, we don't like that, that we're going to have to go through some stuff and it's stuff that we caused. And we got to deal with the broken pieces. But you know what the fam my famous, my favorite thing is? It's a stained glass window. Because the stained glass window reminds me of my life. You know why? Because the most beautiful thing in the world is made with broken pieces. It's amazing how you could take an array of broken pieces and let light shine through them in the right order. 
and make something beautiful out of something broken. If your life is broken today, why don't you let the light of Jesus shine through you? He can take all those broken pieces and make something beautiful out of it. We see the story of man's fall, but we also see redemption and God covering them. And then in his mercy, he let them die. His mercy, he let them die? Yes. Let's read verse 21 and we're going to get out of here. For those of you who are online, I hope this is blessing you and you get the benefit of stopping and starting. But you need to keep going just a few more minutes because this is good. Let's do the last part. Verse 22. He says, what? And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Stop. So Satan wasn't lying. He gets you with the truth. He gives you a little bit of the truth. So you'll trust him. And he, then he's slipping a little bit of lie. Wow. That he'll be like one of us, knowing good and evil. Let's keep reading. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove the man out and he placed on the east side of Eden, a garden, the Garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. That might seem mean, but it's merciful. God's saying, I can't let you keep living this way. I can't let you live in the state you're in. I'm going to send my son to die for you. You don't even know it yet. But the plan, behold the land from the, the slain from the foundation of the world. And then after that, because you're in a sinful and a fallen state, I can't leave you in that imperfect state. One day I'm going to give you a glorified body. And Paul said, and one day when this corruption shall take off, I'll take off corruption and put on uncorruption. And I'll take off this mortality and put on immortality. One day Paul said, God, Paul said, God is going to allow us to get rid of this sinful flesh. That we don't have to be trapped in this flesh that hurts when it's cold and gets sick and is riddled with disease. In this flesh that has to fight depression and sickness and sadness. In this flesh that has to get hungry. In this flesh that has to get fatigued. In this flesh that has to go through all the hardships of life. I can't leave you like that, Adam. Adam means mankind, so I can't leave you like that mankind. I'm going to produce a way for you to be restored. God wants to restore you tonight. He wants to heal you tonight. And all you have to do is be honest. Well, prove it to me in scripture. Sure will. Second Chronicles 7, 15, if my people, which are called by my name, be honest, will humble yourselves and pray, seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. Be honest. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive your sins and I will heal your land. That promise he gave to Solomon still stands today. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask if there are any questions. God, we thank you for this opportunity to learn your word in this study. It's going a little further tonight, a little longer, but thank you that you've given us content for it, God, that will bless our lives and our souls. And I pray that whoever is watching this study, 
will be blessed by it and that they will share it over and over again with people that are hurting and that are running and hiding from God, that they will know that there is safety in the ark of safety. There's safety under the shelter of your wings, that they will dwell in your secret place, that you'll be their refuge, our refuge and strength. And we'll be careful to give you praise. We ask for healing for those who need it right now. I feel your spirit and your presence in this place. So right now, for those who are watching, if you need something right now, lift your hands right where you are and say, I receive. In the name of Jesus, God, we bless, pray those blessings of healing and peace upon their life. And those that are in this room and in our fellowship that need it in the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for your multiplying of this ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are there any questions? Any questions? Any comments? Brother Bob?